Well, let me lead you in a pastoral prayer this morning at this time. Father God, we thank you for the way that you lead us as a church in all kinds of moments. We are spread out around the South Shore and in some cases around the country as we are watching this morning. And so we ask for your guidance and your leadership. There are many people who are part of the North River family who are exhausted by all of the changes that have gone on or who are anxious. And we pray that you would increase our trust in you and that you would give us the ability to make the most of the blessings and the benefits that have come from this time. Continue to find ways to bind us together for the mission of Christ still goes on even though there are circumstances that change like the era that we find ourselves in right now. We ask for your leading we ask for your wisdom. We ask that you would continue to console uh, those who've gone through losses while we cannot gather in this time. I think of the McTiernan family where we said goodbye to Cindy's mom last Monday and that you'd continue to walk with them and provide healing in their lives. I think of the, the Nuttall family where there's been a, a recent death of a parent there too. And... Uh, that you would bless Tom and, and Nettie and, and guide them through this time and allow them to know your strength and your peace. Lord, there are folks who are part of our church who are struggling with work and all the changes that have come, and we pray that you would open doors and that you would provide. And we are missing each other, so give us ways to begin to come together, uh, like this prayer night that we're having tomorrow night. And we ask that you bless these smaller efforts that we are trying to gather people together safely in order to continue to do your work in this area. Grant us wisdom in knowing what steps to take. We pray for our leaders here in Massachusetts. We pray for Governor Baker and for the team of people that advises him, help them to make wise decisions. We pray for our nation, for our president, for all the leaders in Congress as they're trying to come up with solutions. We pray that you would break down the walls that seem to divide and allow people to come together in order to put together best thoughts, best practices, and to act on the will of the people's best needs and intentions. Thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to continue in worship, and we pray that our understanding of your word and therefore our, our calling in life would grow and sharpen and deepen through all this time. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will grant us illumination as we study your word and then insight about how we should apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. A pastor in Arkansas named John Hamby tells a story of a Russian woman who lived with her husband and two small children in a very small hut. Her parents lost their home and she had to take them in. It became unbearable. Too many people in such a small space. In desperation, she went to the village wise man, whom she knew had solved many, many problems, and said, what should I do? Do you have a cow? asked the wise man. When she replied, yes, the wise man said, then bring her into the hut too and come back and see me in a week. A week later, she was back. This is utterly unbearable, she said. Do you have any chickens, said the wise man. She replied, yes, what about them? The wise man told her, bring them into the hut too and come back and see me in a week. 
Now you're completely out of your mind, she said. Nevertheless, still in awe of his reputation, she went back home and did exactly as he suggested. A week later, she returned. This is absolutely impossible, she said. Our home is a mess. All right, said the wise man. Take out the chickens. The next week, she came back and reported that without the chickens, it was definitely better, but still a miserable situation. All right, said the wise man. Now take out the cow. That will settle your problem. And it did. Without the chickens and without the cow, the woman, her husband, their children, and her two parents got along quite peacefully. Sometimes we really don't know how good things are until they get worse. It's all a matter of perspective. One of the great issues of our day is that so many people fail to have joy in their lives because of lack of contentment. Sadly, Christians and non-Christians alike fall into the world's lies about the secrets of contentment. We think, if only I look like the beautiful people on the magazine covers or on television, or if I have all the things that are part of the lifestyle of the rich and famous, that I will finally be content. And what we find instead is that none of these things are ever enough. In contrast, this morning we're going to focus on a phrase from Paul's letter where he tells us that he has discovered the secret to contentment. Yet, realize this, Paul writes this thought from the condition of being in house arrest in Rome where his freedom is not guaranteed and where control over his life is in somebody else's hands. Welcome back to North River Church. I am so glad that you are with us today. Today we are working through the final message in our Recalculate series that builds on the observation that two years of house arrest had caused the Apostle Paul to recalculate his priorities, his methods, and his goals in ministry. So his letter to the Philippian Christians was passing on wisdom about how to recalculate the patterns of life in the midst of great societal change. Now, this is relevant to us, too, because you and I have been recalculating the daily patterns of our lives again and again over the last five months. We are learning to live with new patterns, new habits. We are abandoning some habits that no longer fit the realities of a COVID-19 world. And we have embraced so much change. We hope that this season will end, yet we want to be ready to move forward for life in a post-COVID-19 world. So, we are recalculating how we live out the values of our Christian faith. This morning, we're going to talk about four keys to contentment, no matter what the situation. And that's absolutely relevant to the times that we find ourselves in. Now, here's the first key. Commit to learning to be content. Paul writes, beginning in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, You were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Now, the key statement in those verses comes up in the, in the middle of verse 12. He says, I have learned the secret of contentment. So we are told here that contentment is something that can be learned. In other words, you're not just born with it, where some people have it and they're naturally content and other people are just miserable from birth. 
Paul says he has learned this secret. My guess is that this declaration would come as a shock to some people in our world. For some people, nothing is ever enough. The insatiable quest for more simply dominates their existence. A few years ago, I read that the average American home today is twice the size of the average American home in the era just after World War II. Think about that. Are we happier because we have more? Sparefort Inc. reports that 1 in 11 Americans pays an average of $91 and change per month to use self-storage units. This percentage continues to rise even when the average home size has significantly increased and the size of the American family has decreased. The simple reality is that our houses are bigger simply because the average American, rich, poor, and middle class, has so much more stuff. The result is that the storage industry now exceeds the revenues from Hollywood. How big of a deal is this? Neighbor.com reveals that in 2019, self-storage facilities outnumber the combination of, get this, Starbucks, McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, Pizza Hut, and Wendy's outlets all across the United States. The basis of Paul's declaration is rooted in his own experience. He is not teaching some abstract principle that he simply heard about. Because we believe that the Bible is God's Word, and because Paul presents himself as a role model, we are going to look at discovering the biblical keys to contentment. So here is what is at the heart of the final portion of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. The first is the idea that contentment is something that can be learned, but you and I need to decide if we actually want to be content, and therefore if we're willing to learn to be content. And living this out demands a higher level of commitment to the concept of learning contentment. Here's our big idea this, for this morning. Contentment flows from trusting that Jesus is able to supply what we need to accomplish what He sends us to do. Contentment flows from trusting Jesus that He is able to supply what we need to accomplish what He has sent us to do. In other words, your mission or my mission in life. Here's the second key. We need to define contentment biblically. So in verse 12, Paul writes, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. A question is needed here. What is contentment? The question is important because we live in an age where there is such a lack of contentment. We have so much more than the rest of the world. We have so much more than the generations who have lived before us. Yet so few people are happy, satisfied, or content in life. And so many people around us are just plain miserable. One common thought is that contentment is similar to passivity. That content people are those who just passively accept everything that comes. They don't have expectations. They don't set goals. That way they're never very disappointed. I have news for you. I don't think this is what Paul was talking about. So we go back to the original language to see if there is a clue to shed light on this. The Greek word behind this concept points to an inner strength, not complacency. Paul uses a specific Greek word, autorkais, that he borrows from Greek philosophers. And he introduces this concept to the Christian audience that he was writing to. It speaks of a person who has become worry-free. This is our goal, 
to trust Jesus so thoroughly that he has our best in mind that we let anxiety go and we become worry-free knowing that there are some things that are placed in his hands and that he will not let us down. See, contentment is something that is an issue of trust between you and Jesus, between me and Jesus. Contentment flows from trusting that Jesus is able. Able to do what? Able to supply what we need to accomplish what He sends us to do. In other words, if Jesus sends you and me on a mission in life, and if He gives you a specific mission, He will give you not everything you want, but what you actually need to follow through on the mission, because He's that kind of leader. So the first key is to commit to learning to be content. And any measure of learning on that scale is growth in a spiritual uh, way of thinking. The second key is to define contentment biblically. Here's the third key. Accept Christ as the source. So we go back to verse 12 again. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That includes the situation we're in today. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, And then he says this amazing statement in verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. There is an essential link between these two verses found in Philippians 4, verse 12 and 13. The apostle tells us that he knows what it is to be in need and he knows what it is to be in plenty. He has lived through both circumstances. But he has learned the key to contentment in every situation. This is what you and I need to learn. He says this this not to exalt his discovery over us, but rather to reveal the secret so that you and I can live by the same secret. So, what is the secret? It's found right here in verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything that he wants me to do. The secret that Paul discovered is not the word everything. It's not the word strength. The secret is attached to the word Him, having a vital relationship with Christ Himself. By the way, the Bible is not telling us that the goal of life is to find contentment, but rather that the goal for every Christian should be living in deep communion with Jesus Christ. And when we live in deep communion with Jesus Christ, contentment flows from that rich spiritual connection to Jesus you can be sure that the Lord will supply all you need to complete the mission He has given you. Now, let's also be clear about what this verse does not mean. It does not mean that you and I can do everything we want to do. Uh, We can't claim Philippians 4.13, I can do all things or everything through Christ who strengthens me, and climb up on the top of the church building and walk off the edge and all of a sudden come back up. Gravity takes over. It's not a, a blanket license to do whatever we want. Rather, it's a promise that Jesus is behind the mission that He gives to you and me. And we can do everything that really matters in life in His eyes when we trust Him. But the key is, are we doing life in Him, in Jesus, in Christ, in daily vital connection with Him? If we're not, we're operating in our own power, in our own strength, and we're expecting Him to supply contentment when we're off on a walk by ourselves. Accept Christ 
as the source. That's the third key. And here's the fourth. Recognize that giving is a measure of being content. Our big idea is contentment flows from trusting that Jesus is able to supply all we need to accomplish what he sends us to do. And the fourth key is recognize that giving is a measure that reveals the level of how much we are trusting him and therefore the level of contentment in our lives. Paul describes this in verses 14 through 19. He says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that, is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you have sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Now look at some of the terms that are used in that paragraph of Scripture. Paul talks about this matter of giving and receiving. He talks about more being credited to their account. He talks about having received full payment and having more than enough, being amply supplied. And he describes these gifts as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is more than just a thank you letter from the Apostle Paul in the midst of a fundraising season. He teaches about the link between contentedness and giving. Now, there are a number of reasons why healthy believers give to the cause of Christ. One is partnership that Paul mentioned in the opening part of chapter 1 in this letter. Partnership in the cause of spreading the gospel. A second reason is knowledge that every gift to God is a sweet-smelling sacrifice and that pleases Him. Do you know when you and I give, we are giving to God. We are not just giving to the church. We are not just giving to support the staff. And when we, when we dig deep and when we do it in a way that is principled and maybe even costly to us, God sees that as a sacrifice to Him. The third is confidence that resourcing God's work flows from our belief that God is able to supply all our needs according to the riches of Christ. God longs to see that confidence in us that, that we continue to do His work and that we support the things that He's doing knowing that He will supply along the way. A fourth reason is a sense of responsibility to help those who are called into full-time ministry. Some of you know uh, Carly Spore Taylor and her husband Sam they went into ministry a number of years ago with a campus ministry in the Pittsburgh area called CCO. Interesting story that I want to tell isn't so much about Carly, though. It's about her younger brother, Christian. When Christian learned that Carly was going to go into full-time mission work, he decided that he would tell his folks that he was committing himself to become successful in business because he knew that somebody in the family would have to make money, and he wanted to give as much as he could to resource and to finance the work that Carly was doing. I have news for you. Christian's calling to support Carly is just as important as Carly's calling to reach college students for Jesus and to build healthy spiritual principles into their lives. And they go hand in hand. And some of you have that same kind of attitude because you've seen that modeled by the Apostle Paul and others in the Scriptures. And you've made a commitment to take on responsibility 
for the work that goes on through your career in the world. And God honors that. And then there's a fifth reason, the knowledge that God rewards kindness and sacrifice on His behalf. It is very interesting here that the Apostle Paul seeks that there would be more given to the accounts of the Philippian Christians because of the way that they were supporting him. That means that someday that their reward in heaven would be great. Now, we don't give to get. That's a sick theology. But the Bible does teach that there are rewards that God gives. And so one of the, the ways that, uh, the, one of the reasons that we give is that we're looking forward to whatever God will give us as rewards one day in the kingdom of heaven when we see Jesus face to face and we dwell in eternity. And I don't know about you, but I, I long to find out how exactly God does that. So let's build our giving moment into this message. You can give right now by clicking on the give button that's found in the chat box or in the notes section on your viewing screen. It will take you to a link where you can take care of that right now. You can quickly and easily give by texting North River CC to, uh, to uh, you can text to North River CC the number 77977 and then follow the prompts. That will take you to our text in church uh, tool for doing that. A third way you can do that is through the North River website at any time and you can find the give button on there. Or you can use your own bank's bill pay or of course you can mail a check to North River Church 334 Old Oak Street, Pembroke, Massachusetts, 02359. Now, here's a simple reality. We give for a whole lot of complicated reasons, but when we give for the right reasons, God sees this as a sacrifice that smells sweet, just as sweet as the animals that were offered years ago when they were burned on the sacrifice and the, the aroma reached up to God. Contentment flows from trusting that Jesus is able to supply what we need to accomplish what He has sent us to do. Now, I want to commend you as a church. We are existing in troubling times right now and challenging times. We just finished uh, our fiscal year a month ago at the end of June. And your donations and your support for North River came in at about 98% of what we were expecting. Friends, I have to tell you, that is absolutely phenomenal in, in a time like this. We are trying to plan ahead with contingencies in mind because we don't know what the future unfolds, but we do know this, God is faithful, and you have demonstrated your faithfulness to Him too. And so I'd like to encourage that you just continue what God leads you to do. This has been a very meaningful series of messages for me. We have just spent eight weeks working through Paul's letter to the Philippian church and the simple observation that Paul was being forced to recalculate his entire ministry strategy and approach because of two years in house arrest has deepened and changed the way that I understand this biblical letter and the way that I understand what following Jesus means in this time. Now I want you to notice one last thing. Notice that Paul ends the letter with a greeting. He says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All the Lord's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He personally greets all of the people who are part of the Philippian church. And then he passes on greetings from the Christians that he knows and who he's in communication with in the city of Rome. 
And then he adds a blessing. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He does this knowing that this may very well be the last form of communication that he has with his friends in the city of Philippi, where there are so many ministry moments that were significant to Paul. This state-imposed exile had caused Paul to realize his need for an appreciation of Christian fellowship, for community, and he longed to see them again. And so there's this sense of longing that colors this entire letter. These greetings and personal notes were not just filler in Paul's letters. So I want to end this message in the same way today. I long to see all of you. I hope that some of you can come out tomorrow night as we gather in our cars and we have our North River Prayer Night. It's one way that we can at least gather safely and we can test out what are best practices for today. And I want to extend the blessing of Jesus to you as I sign off for today. May the grace of Jesus Christ so fill your life that His grace flows from you to others all around you in unlimited ways. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for the many blessings that You give to Your people. Thank You for being a faithful God. Thank You for enriching our lives and for promising not only that we have a mission in life that matters, but that You have also promised to supply all that we need to fulfill Your mission. I pray that you would bring a sense of contentedness in our lives, knowing that not only are we rich as a society, but we are even richer for those of us who know the grace of Jesus Christ, who know that we are forgiven, who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, who are equipped with gifts to make a difference in this world, and who are given this overflowing agape love of God the Father. I pray that you will fill us in every possible way, so that as we walk with you and draw near to you, that contented sense of shalom and well-being will so fill our lives that it will flow from each and every one of us throughout the household where we live, throughout the neighborhoods where we gather, into the workplaces where we go, and that your grace lavished out on us will spill over into the lives of those that we know and care about. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing our prayers, for walking with us every day. In Jesus' name, amen.